And, and they come back and, and she tested things like electrolytes and vitamins. And, and so my vitamin D was a, a little low. And, and I'll just be up front with you. Until this point, I'd never done a lot. I don't know anything about nutrition, honestly. I, I grew up watching Hulk Hogan. And the guy said, say your prayers and take your vitamins. And so I did. You know, I take a, a generic vitamin because Hulk Hogan told me. And uh, it worked okay, I guess. And, uh, but it was a little low. And come to find out, most people probably are a little bit low in vitamin D because we stay inside all the time. And, uh, but she put me on a small dose of, of vitamin D. And so I started taking that. And I don't know if it was just a, you know, the placebo effect or if I really was feeling better. But I started feeling like I was doing okay. And, well, a couple more weeks pass and, and that feeling returns. The tiredness and I, and I was going to bed early and I was feeling it in my arms and legs. Uh, and this is probably a TMI for you, but I'll just share it since this is what we're talking about today. I started having trouble going to the restroom. And, you know, I'm, I'm 35, and I thought I shouldn't be having this problem. And so I call the doctor back, and they do a urinalysis, uh, and, and it comes back mostly okay. There was some trace blood in it, and so they test the blood, and there's no infection in the blood. And, and you know, if you've gone through this thing, you're like, well, golly, what is it? And you're just wondering, and all this takes time. Uh, and so finally, she orders a, a CT scan. She says it could be kidney stones. And so they do the, t- the CT scan. CT scan comes back. It's not kidney stones. This is probably TMI as well. But at 35, my prostate was enlarged. And I thought, well, good. I have something to talk with Dwayne about. But... <laughs> and I just say that because he talks to everybody about it. You know, he's, he's okay with it. I'm not violating HIPAA, I don't think. But I don't want that to be for me. You know, at 35, that's such a weird thing. So, long story short, she sends me to the urologist. And, you know, he does his thing. And he says, well, it's not as, you know, it's, it's not huge. It's not too big of a deal. The first thing we're going to do before anything else is just pump you full of antibiotics, you know. And, and so that's the first step. And, and I think, you know, this has been a, a month or so, I think... Things are going okay now. He said, it's hard to determine if you have an infection in that part. And, he, and you're wondering, Pastor, why are you sharing all this personal information with us? This is, you know, you've gone overboard here. Well, I'm sharing this because I recognize that for many of you, all the stuff that I just shared is really not that big of a deal at all. For many of you who have chronic health conditions, the, the testing and the going to the doctor and the wondering and the waiting... That's, that's a big part of your life. And for many of you, you're saying to, to just have a, a small little infection in your prostate. In, in the scheme of things, if you've struggled with, with cancer, if you've struggled with, uh, you know, if you're a diabetic, if you have this, some kind of chronic thing that you are constantly dealing with that you can't just fix with, with some medicine and, and be okay and move on. That's a pretty small thing. But for the first time in my life, I had something that I was unsure of what it might be. For the first time in my life, I was experiencing a loss of control of, of my body. And I'd never experienced that. And, and if you've ever experienced that to a small degree or some of you to a large degree, you know that, gosh, that's a scary thing. When your body is not doing what it is supposed to do uh, and you lose control of it, it's, it's scary. And I know, I, I don't know if you know this or not, probably... A lot of people come up to you when you're a pastor and, and they say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because, and you insert the illness, insert the health condition there. 
And I would never tell someone kind of flippantly that, that I would pray for them and not really mean it. But you know how any job that you have, after a while, when you hear things and you do things, it just kind of becomes routine. You know, so-and-so has this and so-and-so has this. And it's not that you don't care about them or not even that you don't really pray for them. But, but you sort of just lose a sense of, of how real that is for some people. And what I told our, our men's group that meets on Wednesday nights is that if nothing else, I have this new sense of empathy for folks who, who have any kind of health problem because I've, I've experienced something, probably not to the degree that most of you have experienced some health issues, but I've experienced something uh, that I, was kind of a big deal to me. And so it is a big deal. It's a big deal when it happens to you, isn't it? Because you're experiencing it. And so we can't control what happens when we experience illnesses, but we can, we can control the way we react to it. And I know that, that some folks, and you could probably think of someone like this, when, when they experience illnesses or, or sickness, their, their thing is, is to, to react to it and, and seek attention and tell everybody about it, you know? Maybe you're thinking of someone, there just seems to be always something wrong with that person. Or, or whatever you might get, well, that person's already had it and you know about it, they're going to tell you about it. Not just because they like to talk like Dwayne, but just because they're t- seeking attention. And that's one way on, on one spectrum. And another way is, and this is kind of the way I deal with, with stuff, is, is I really don't want to tell anybody. You know, you kind of don't want people thinking about it. You don't want people asking you about it. And, and you kind of isolate yourself when you're struggling with, with an illness. Because for whatever reason, maybe it's a little embarrassing. Or, or for, for whatever reason, you don't want people worrying. And both of those things are, are wrong. And, and, and really not the best way to deal with it. Because when we look at the Bible, we see that illness is something that the church dealt with as, as a community. It was something that, that they dealt with together. And, and that really is something, whether we, not that we like illness, but it should be something that should connect us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Kate Baller is an associate professor at Duke University. And, and I love, if nothing else, I love the title of this memoir that she wrote. Everything happens for a reason. And other lies I've heard. It's the name of her memoir. And she was 35. She's 35. She's my age uh, when she found out that she had stage 4 colon cancer. And, and a large part of that memoir is talking about, uh, as, as a religion professor, how hearing that and, and dealing with that and, and having treatment for that affected her faith. And, and she says, all of a sudden, I start to notice people. I think this, this empathy thing. She says, I notice I noticed the tired mom in the grocery store who's trying to reach for something on the top shelf and, and her kids just won't stop crying. I noticed that for the first time, she said. I noticed that I got loud for the first time. <laughs> she said, I noticed that person that's sitting at the bus stop and, and they just seem to be you know, dejected and sad and, and just worn out from the day. And she said, in the midst of all this, this noticing, you know, I noticed the people in the cancer clinic around me and in, in the midst of all this noticing, I find... That I'm not as sad and I'm not as angry as I thought I might be as I become aware of these folks. And I think it's because there's something about illness that God just said, you know, you're supposed to deal with that in community, in Christian community, as you're connected with other believers. And so that's why I'm going to talk about sickness and illness today, because the church needs to. And we need to see how, as a uniquely Christian community, uh, we're supposed to understand illness. And I think for the believer, the Bible presents it 
you know, it's not all the way on one hand, well, everything happens for a reason, and that's the way we're supposed to understand everything that happens to us. But on the other hand, it's not that I'm going to get mad and I'm going to isolate myself and I'm going to be bitter and angry and I'm not going to share it with anybody. Let me be in the book of Job this morning. If you hadn't turned to our, our scripture, I invite you to turn to Job chapter 2. And I think that, think that this part of Job's story kind of falls somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. And what I hope to do is, is read this passage and then I want to make some points from the passage. And, and then we'll try and apply them together. Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon, upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So as we look at the passage, I want to make, I'm going to move through the points quickly this morning. We see when our health is suffering from Job, the Bible tells us that you can be sure, when your health is suffering, you can be sure it's outside of God's ideal. I'm going to use the word will, but you can be sure it's outside of God's ideal. What he really would like to happen, what he would hope would happen for you and, and for people. You know, the book of Job begins in a way that's really interesting and very much unlike uh, it, really maybe any other book of the Bible. It begins uh, with Satan approaching God along with the angels. If you have another translation of the Bible, it might say the sons of God. And, and they, they kind of meet him for sort of this heavenly consultation. And, and I have people ask me sometimes, what's up with that? Like, what's going on in this passage? I mean, is, is, does that happen? Is, is that supposed to mean to us that this is the way that God and Satan interact on a regular basis? Is this supposed to mean that every single thing that happens to people, that this is from uh, the devil and, and God is, is allowing it? And I'd love to give you detailed scholarly responses to that. We could spend all day doing that. But the short answer is the book of Job is not really concerned about answering those questions. Job is not concerned about answering why that's happening necessarily. The book of Job is, is what we call wisdom literature. If you read the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, it falls into that same kind of category. And it's not interested in commuting the specific whys about those things. It's, it's interested in communicating a general truth about something. And the first thing you have to come to terms with is, is those specific things may not be answered. But in the same way that Psalms and Proverbs is interested in, in, in recognizing something big that's a really big part of what it means to be someone that knows God, so, so is the book of Job. And, and the big thing that Job is recognized or is interested in recognizing is the reality of suffering. 
That suffering is a real thing. That even if you're a great person and you strive to do what God wants you to do, that you're going to experience suffering. It's just the reality. That's what Job is interested in pointing out. And the importance of it is not how it presents God and Satan specifically interacting, but the general situation in which that suffering occurs or, or, or is relieved. And I think the general situation that suffering is happening in the book of Job is, is just in that main point. That it happens, but it's outside of God's ideal for people. Verse 7 on your screen says, Satan went out of the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with these painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. He had to go out of the presence of the Lord in order to afflict Job with these sores. And yes, God allowed it, I guess. And yes, God knew about it. And yes, theoretically, God could have done something about it. But apart from the reality of suffering, apart from, from Satan, this was not God's ideal for Job. And you say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, if you read the very, at the very beginning, the very introduction, when it talks about Job, Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the land of Uzzah lived a man whose name was Job. Man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. That was God's ideal for him. He served God. He did what was right, and he was blessed. But the book tells us that Satan challenged that ideal ideal through sickness. So when you're helping suffering, you're sure it happens outside of God's. Ideal, But as it did for Job, the, the second point, and this is probably an obvious point, but it's, it can affect us, can't it? Suffering affects us physically and emotionally. And the physical side for Job are those painful sores that verse 7 mentions, from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And exactly what caused those sores, we're not sure. It doesn't give us the name of the disease. But I think it's probably okay to, to surmise that that there was probably something more than that as well. He probably had fever. He probably felt horrible. It's probably some, some inflammation and, and other symptoms that went along with it. But we don't have the knowledge. or They didn't have the knowledge of modern medicine, so we don't know necessarily what it was. But we know in verse 8, he takes his piece of broken pottery. It's on your screen. He starts scraping himself with it as he sits among the ashes. You know what the ashes were from? These ashes were ashes that were already there from Job grieving the loss of, of his property. All the stuff that we read at the very beginning of Job that he lost, of his family, of his sons and daughters, of his servants. He had already lost all that before he was afflicted in this way. So, so he was grieving amongst ashes. That's what he did. He had these ashes that he was grieving. And, and now he's scratching. He's, he's scratching and he's grieving. That's what he's doing. And his wife said to him, okay, right when he gets to the point when you think, okay, this guy can't suffer anymore. You know, physically he's at its peak. He's lost all these things. And, and then his wonderful wife just adds, adds the, the icing on the cake in verse 9 when she says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, thanks, honey. Thanks, sweetheart. I love you too. An early church father guessed that, that maybe the reason that, that Satan took everything except Job's wife was because he intended to use her as a tool against him. And, and perhaps, perhaps he was right. It gives a, new, gives a new meaning to the phrase devil woman, doesn't it, right? That's what she was. Surely none of you have ever called your wife a devil woman, I hope. 
And, and the next time, the next time, you know, as we read, the next time your wife is nagging you and saying, you need to go to the doctor, you need to, you know, take your body, you take care of yourself, and, and you want to say quit nagging, well, well, at least she's not telling you to curse God and die. Okay, remember that. We kind of make a joke about it, but it, uh, it's important to, to, to recognize this emotional toll that this would have taken on Job and, and miss everything else he was experiencing. I mean, we hope that we never have to experience something like that, losing maybe the only person that we feel like we have that's, that's got our back. So when our health is suffering, we know it's outside of what God's want. We, we know that it's, that it's going to take a toll on us physically and emotionally. And some of you might be in the midst of that this morning. You might be in the midst of experiencing some of that physical or emotional frustration. But for a moment, I want to talk to those of you that maybe, maybe you're not. Or maybe you have, and, and right now, you're not. We've talked about... We've talked about what it's like, you know, when your health is suffering. But I want to also talk about what, what before your health is suffering. Before your health is suffering, when we look at Job, we need to know that we need to make friends who know how to grieve. We need to make friends who know how to grieve. Because there will be a time when we need that. When you, when you look at Job's friends initially, it looks like they, they are there for him. But, but if you know the whole story, you know that they're not. Uh, once they recognize that Job's problems are not going away, going away, they have a hard time not fixing things for him, don't they? they? They show up and they assume that he has that all these bad things that he has are not going away because of something that he did, some sin that he committed. They assume that it's his fault, don't they? And, and really, they believe the same thing we've already said this morning. They believe that everything that's happening to him, well, that's not God's ideal. We said that. But they appropriated that incorrectly because they assumed since this is not what God wants, well, it must be something that Job did. And how different is that approach from what we see in Jesus? Remember the story when, when people come up to him and they ask Jesus, hey, what's this guy's problem? What sin did he commit or what sin did his parents commit to make him blind? You remember that? Remember how he responded? He didn't, he didn't give an answer. He didn't tell them that this this. This, was, this occurred and this was what caused the guy's blindness. Or think about the fact when, when, when one of his best friends, when Lazarus died, when Jesus could have just snapped his fingers, and he did raise him from the dead, but he could have snapped his fingers and it had been over. He took the time and he grieved. Jesus grieved. Grieving with the sick and the suffering is not just an appropriate thing to do, it's a biblical thing. And that we see at least initially Job's friend's Try to do that. And in verse 11 on your screen, we have uh, sort of the very first attempt for them to go to Job. It says when, when, this, when his three friends heard, I won't read all their names again. They heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize and to comfort him. And, you know, that could have took, well, we don't really know, but it could have took a couple months for, for news to get to where they were. They didn't have cell phones, but for them to, to hear what was going on and to respond and to get there. And the problem for them, it uses, uses these words in that verse, comfort, sympathize and comfort. And, and those are connected to, to words that really are just sort of this formal recognition. Think about the fact maybe you've gone to a funeral home and someone passed away and, and they weren't really close to you. But it was someone that, that, uh, that they knew someone that you were really connected with. And so you go just to sort of sympathize with them, right? To, to comfort them. Emotionally, you're fine. You're, you're okay. But you want to be there for them. 
And, and those are the words that verse 11 uses to describe what Job's friends are doing. They're just going to sort of be there for him, aren't they? But then something happens. They catch sight of him. Maybe they see all these horrible sores. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they, you know how sickness has a smell? You know, maybe they smell something. And they just begin to weep. They lose it. And all of a sudden, they're not there to comfort Job anymore. They're weeping for, on their behalf because they see how bad Job is. Maybe they're weeping because they're thinking, hey, I've got to be this guy's friend. If the Bible informs us that when your health is suffering, it's, it's, it's going to be trying. And so before your health is suffering, make friends with people that are not like Job's friends. Those are your points from the passage this morning. That's all, all the screen I'm going to use, but... I want to try to imply that as we, as, as we think about what, what, how does that connect to us? I think one of the things we have to realize when we think about sickness and illness is, and, and this is a good thing, but it's going to sound harsh, is, is, is that you are not the center of the universe. That's real pastoral, isn't it? You think, well, Matt, are you going to tell someone that when someone says, hey, Matt, pray for me. I've got an operation. Uh, you're not the center of the universe. Don't worry about it. No, I'm, I'm not going to tell someone that. That's not... The, the right response, obviously. But it's something that needs to be said. And, and the reason it needs to be said is, is good news. Because when we assume that we are facing some kind of illness, be it big or small, because of, of something that we did, some wrong thing that we said, some sin that we committed, we come really close to doing the exact same thing that Job's friends did. We assume that men... What we, we are so important that every little thing that we do, God is scrutinizing. And, and man, if we mess up, he's going to strike us with something. You've got to be pretty important for God to be watching you like that, don't you? We're not the center of the universe. It's just like in Job's time. There's a lot going on when, when, when you're sick, when you have an illness. There's a lot that's going on that, that we don't even know, that we can't see, that we don't have privy to. I don't even know if it's for us to know. And so we're struggling with that, the physical side, the emotional side. The same way it's important to be aware of, of the things that we're feeling, the things that, that we're going through our minds and thoughts, and, and, and how we express those things. You know, one of the things that I tell, especially Luke at this point in his life, is that it's okay to be mad, but it's not okay to do anything you want when you're mad. You know, it's okay if you're mad and you need to go in your room and you need to, to, to just be alone. Okay, you need to go in your room, you need to count to 10, you need to punch a pillow, you need to scream a little bit. That's okay, go do that. It's not okay to go in your room and throw a chair through the window, right? You're responsible for your actions even when you're mad. And that seems like a, a small thing and we get that, but have you ever notice when, when something affects our bodies, we have this tendency maybe to pout or, or maybe to harbor harsh feelings or to be resentful or to quit taking care of ourselves or to lash out at the people that, that love us and are just trying to take care of us. And we have all these tendencies to deal with that in ways that really are not good sometimes. But Job was so aware of what he was feeling and what he was going through in the midst of his suffering that even when his horrible wife tells him to curse God and die, he stands firm. But I'm not Job, and, and you're not Job, and probably most of us are, are not at that point. You know, we, we strive to do what God wants us to do, but, but we're not. No, we're, we're people. We're, we're, we're fallible people. So we've got to have people in our corner. 
I remember watching a stand-up routine with, with Jerry Seinfeld, and he was joking about how easy it is for children to make friends. And I've noticed that with, with my own kids. Kids can make friends with anyone. If they're standing outside their house and they're looking, well, hey, you're my friend, you know? Are you a grown-up? No, you're a kid. Well, you're my friend. Come on in. Come on in my house. Jump on my bed. Play with my toys. And then if you have something in common as a kid, you know, oh, you like cherry Kool-Aid? Oh, I do too. Then you're best friends, right? It just doesn't take much as a kid to, to have something in common and, and to be friends. But as, as we grow as adults, we know that those types of friendships are kind of shallow. And when you get older, you need something that is a lot deeper to connect you. I have a brother who, for the longest time, was trying to be a professional boxer. And he's finally, thank the Lord, moved on from that. But, but he still watches boxing. And that frames a lot of the way that he sees life and understands life and and he posted this quote a while back. He says, notice who is in the locker room after you lose, not after you win. So anyone can celebrate with you, right? Anyone can enjoy the things that you enjoy with you. But it takes a true friend. I think a true friend that is a believer to grieve with you. And so all of this has huge implications, doesn't it, for the way that we do church and the way that we understand our Christian community together. Because if suffering happens outside of God's ideal... And as a church, we shouldn't expect anybody to be ideal, should we? Because we all experience suffering. When I went through my little health issue, whatever you want to call it, and one thing that I noticed that I'd never thought about before is that when you start telling people that you have this health issue, then you start feeling pressure, or I did, probably because I'm a people pleaser. I think a lot of pastors are. But you start feeling pressure to want to be better because now they know about it and they're praying for you. And and then if God doesn't answer that prayer, well, what does that say about you? What did you do wrong, you know? And you want to be able to tell them, hey, I'm better. God healed me. Thanks for your prayers. But then if you can't, not only are you sad about it, well, now you're letting them down as well. Maybe that's just me because I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I don't know, though, if you deal with that as well. But one thing it did teach me is, is, is when I know someone is suffering, when I know someone has a health issue, not to go up to them and say, hey, are you any better? I know you've been taking all these drugs and I've been praying for it. Are you any better? Well, no. Don't. Not that I would say it in just that way, but sometimes that's the way we approach it. And we say, hey, how, how are you? And you leave it at that. And you let them say, this is how I am. And, and you just let that be. If, if Job's friends would have just shut their mouth, you know, at the end of that passage, if that would have been the end of it, they would have stayed silent and just grieved with him. That would have been it. That's what God wanted them to do. Many situations, I think our church is good at this. We're not a perfect church, but I think this is one thing our church is, is pretty good at. I've been with deacons as we've prayed over folks in the hospital. I've, I've grieved with, with folks in our church as they've lost spouses. I've, I've, seen, I've seen leaders in our church you know, pray over people in the midst of a worship service when they've shared that they've had a need. And It's not something we're perfect at, but it's something that I think... As a fellowship, we are good at. Doesn't mean we're perfect at it, though. And, and, and I think one of the things that keeps, that I would think anyone in our, our fellowship from experiencing that, is just a lack of awareness on our part. If, if you are someone like me that you just sort of tend to isolate it, not want to talk about it, and, and be okay, you keep that from folks that really want to be there and grieve with you and come alongside you. And and that that can be. Maybe you think you're doing a good thing because you're not burdening yourself with them knowing it. 
But it can also be isolating if you don't have people to agree with you. This morning, if, if, if you need the church, if you need our church to be the church to you in the midst of, of an illness or in the midst of, of a struggle or whatever it might be, I want to invite you to share that. You don't have to come forward and share it in that way if you don't want to. or You don't have to share it with me. But I want to invite you to share that maybe with just a person. Maybe with a, a Sunday school teacher. Maybe with someone that sits on the pew next to you. However God might lead you to do that. Let our church be a church, be the church to you. Let's pray together. God, as we live in a world that is fallen, God, it's hard. It's hard to, when we want answers, when we want to know what's behind suffering and the reason behind sickness. And we don't even see it in the Bible. You don't give us a reason that, that every bad thing happens to every person. God, I pray that that would not cause despair for us, but instead it would cause us to lift our eyes to the people you've given us to walk through life with. I thank you for our church. And I thank you for, for the special role that it has had in my life and lifting me up and praying for me. And if God, if there's someone here that needs the church to be that to them, I pray they'd find a way to connect. Connect in a way that they know. They know they have a Christian friend, a Christian brother, a Christian sister. That it can encourage them and bear them up in the midst of whatever difficulty they're going through. Thank you for the gift of fellowship we have as believers. Help us to steward it as you would have us. We pray in Jesus' name.